Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Bodhidharma's Bloodstream Sermon. Everything that appears in the three realms comes from the mind. Hence, Buddhas of the past and future teach mind to mind without bothering about definitions. But if they don't define it, what do they mean by mind? You ask, that's your mind. I answer, that's my mind. If I had no mind, how could I answer? If you had no mind, how could you ask? That which asks is your mind. Through endless kalpas without beginning, whatever you do, wherever you are, that's your real mind. That's your real Buddha. This mind is the Buddha, says the same thing. Beyond this mind, you'll never find another Buddha. To search for enlightenment or nirvana beyond this mind is impossible. The reality of your own self-nature, the oneness of cause and effect, is what's meant by mind. Your mind is nirvana. You might think you can find a Buddha or enlightenment somewhere beyond the mind, but such a place doesn't exist. Trying to find a Buddha or enlightenment is like trying to grab space. Space has a name, but no form. It's not something you can pick up or put down. And you certainly can't grab it. Beyond this mind, you'll never see a Buddha. Buddhas of the past and future only talk about this mind. The mind is the Buddha and the Buddha is the mind. Beyond the mind, there's no Buddha. And beyond the Buddha, there's no mind. If you think there's a Buddha beyond the mind, where is he? There's no Buddha beyond the mind, so why envision one? You can't know your real mind as long as you deceive yourself. As long as you're enthralled by a lifeless form, you're not free. If you don't believe me, deceiving yourself won't help. It's not the Buddha's fault. Buddhas don't save Buddhas. If you use your mind to look for a Buddha, you won't see the Buddha. 
as long as you look for a Buddha somewhere else, you'll never see that your own mind is the Buddha. Some of you undoubtedly were expecting Shinge Roshi to be in the seat giving a Teisho today because that's what's written on the schedule. And I'm sorry to disappoint you all. And some of you may have been expecting more talking about Bodhidharma's wake-up sermon, but I finally moved on from the wake-up sermon to another of his sermons, the bloodstream sermon. This is the beginning of the bloodstream sermon. Everything that appears in the three realms comes from the mind. He could have more or less finished the sermon with that one sentence. That's the entire gist of it. And some of you may be wondering what the three realms are. In Buddhist cosmology, the three realms are the realm of desire, which is where we all live the realm of form, which is a place that some of us may visit in meditation, and the realm of the formless, which is a place that some very advanced meditators may visit during meditation. And I won't go into all the details of the cosmology of what the formless consists of and what form consists of, and the six different worlds that are contained in the realm of desire. It's not really germane. Bodhidharma simplifies the whole thing by saying the three realms are greed, anger, and delusion. That's all you need to know about the three realms. And the three realms come from the mind. Hence, Buddhas of the past and future teach mind to mind without bothering about definitions. And here it's, it's curious that he says, Buddhas of the past and future, and doesn't mention at all Buddha of the present. That might be because the Buddha of the present is nothing other than your mind. And he says that they teach mind to mind, which brings us to Bodhidharma's 
famous definition of Zen as a special transmission outside the scriptures, not depending on words or phrases, a direct pointing to the mind and realization of Buddhahood. Just that, and direct pointing to the mind. Nothing really to teach, just this pointing to the mind. And so of course he says, they don't bother with definitions. Definitions have nothing to do with pointing to the mind. And here there is a question posed, presumably by someone listening to the sermon. But if they don't define it, what do they mean by mind? If they don't define it, what do they mean by mind? You ask, that's your mind. I answer, that's my mind. I had no mind, how could I answer? If you had no mind, how could you ask? Asking in Zen is very important. The question that we ask in Zen and it takes many different forms. But the underlying question is always, what is this? This thing that we call mind, what is this? This experience of this present moment, what is this? And that same question takes myriad forms and myriad koans, but it always comes back to the same thing. What's on your mind? What's in your mind? What is your mind? What is this? What is this experience right now? Not the past or future, where those past and future Buddhas live. But right now, what is this? Through endless kalpas without beginning. From the start of the Big Bang to the end of the universe, whatever you do, wherever you are, that's your real mind, your real Buddha. Not some pretend Buddha, not some future Buddha made of bronze or wood or fire. Not some ideal you 
doing the things you're supposed to do like a good Zen student, a good girl or boy. But you as you are, with all of your so-called faults, with all of the embarrassments and traumas and missteps, all of the joys and wonder and love and fear and anxiety and ecstasy. Wherever you are, whatever you do from the very beginning, this is this and can't be otherwise. This is your real mind and your real Buddha. One of the famous koans in which Bodhidharma is featured is Muman Khan case 41, which recounts his encounter with his eventual successor and Dharma, Dharma heir, Eka. Bodhidharma sat facing the wall. The second patriarch stood in the snow. He cut off his arm and presented it to Bodhidharma, crying, my mind has no pieces yet. I beg you, master, pacify my mind. Bring your mind here and I'll pacify it for you, replied Bodhidharma. I've searched for my mind and I cannot take hold of it, said the second patriarch. Now your mind is pacified said Bodhidharma. Bodhidharma sat facing the wall. Bodhidharma was doing Zazen. Doing nothing. Just being with this mind. A completely ambitionless, unproductive usage of time. Just being with this mind. Facing the wall is facing one's true nature. A Christian might say facing God, facing the unknown, facing the unknowable, 
and the second patriarch, Eka, came with great ambition. He wanted to know the truth of this matter. He wanted to know the peace of Nirvana, the peace of transcendence. My mind has no pieces yet. Bodhidharma said, bring me your mind and I'll pacify it for you. Eka says, I've searched for my mind and I can't find it anywhere. The searching is important. It's one thing to say that's your real mind, whatever you do from the beginningless beginning, wherever you are. But how many of us believe that? How many of us are content with whatever I do, wherever I am? This is the lotus land of purity. The searching is important. Exhaustion. Emptying your heart and your mind. Getting down to the bone. I think this is what is meant by what is probably a metaphor of Eka cutting off his arm. Getting down to the bone, sacrificing, getting through attachment and cutting it off. That's your real Buddha. To search for enlightenment or nirvana beyond this mind is impossible. Well, it's not really impossible to search for enlightenment or Buddha beyond this mind. That's what most people do most of the time. You search for enlightenment or Buddha in the pursuit of wealth, in the pursuit of fame, in the pursuit of sex or drugs, in the pursuit of being a good person, in the pursuit of having a good name and good reputation. Searching for enlightenment or nirvana in this way is not impossible. 
finding enlightenment or nirvana in this way, that's impossible. That's abandoning your treasure and looking for fool's gold. You can never find enlightenment or nirvana beyond this mind, beyond this body, this heart. It's the only place that you will find enlightenment or nirvana. Your mind is nirvana. The reality of your own self nature. The oneness of cause and effect. This is Nirvana. This is the end of searching. The end of searching is the realization of your own self nature. But the end of searching is won by your own attention, your own effort. Attention. Not your will, but your attention. You might think you can find a Buddha or enlightenment somewhere beyond the mind, but such a place doesn't exist. Trying to find a Buddha or enlightenment is like trying to grab space. You can try all you want. There's nothing to grab hold of. Space has a name, but no form. It's not something you can pick up or put down. Your mind we talk about mind, but just like space, it has a name, but it doesn't have a form. Just as space contains the entire universe, so your mind also contains the entire universe. And where you place your attention, that's where your heart will be. That's where your mind will be. You may place your attention on anything you like. but know the perils of placing your attention 
in places that are bound to lead to suffering. When I was beginning to prepare for this talk, I happened to be looking through a, um, an anthology of the writings of Simone Weil, who, for people who aren't familiar with her, um, she was an intellectual uh, philosopher, theologian, mystic, all sorts of descriptors can be given to her. She was um, a bodhisattva born in France in the beginning part of the 20th century who later in life converted to Catholicism. Um, she had a great compassionate heart. She died quite young. She died when she was only 34 years old, which was a shame. And she talked quite a bit about attention and will. She said, absolutely unmixed attention is prayer. And she described attention like this. Attention consists of suspending our thought, leaving it detached, empty, and ready to be penetrated by the object. That's a funny word, the object. The object might be the sun. It might be the Dharma. It might be love. It might be a work of art. It might be a cup of coffee. Attention consists of suspending our thought, leaving it detached, empty, and ready to be penetrated by the object. It means holding in our minds, within reach of this thought, but on a lower level and not in contact with it, the diverse knowledge we have acquired, which we are forced to make use of. Our thought should be in relation to all particular and already formulated thoughts as a man on a mountain who, as he looks forward, sees also below him without actually looking at them, a great many forests and plains. Above all, our thought should be empty, waiting, not seeking anything, but ready to receive in its naked truth the object which is to penetrate it.
our thoughts should be empty. Pure attention. Absolutely unmixed attention is prayer. Prayer that has no gaining idea. Prayer that has no petition within it. Prayer which is in itself union. Yoga. Yoking. Beyond this mind, this attention, you'll never see a Buddha. Buddhas of the past and future only talk about this mind. All of the sutras, all of the teachings, the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, all of the things which you Jukai students have studied so carefully, all of these things are nothing but footnotes to the reality of this mind. They are guides to help us along the way. But in no way are they a substitute for emptying our thoughts and developing this absolutely unmixed attention that is prayer. In the New Testament, in the Bible, Jesus tells his disciples to pray constantly. And I used to wonder, how can you pray constantly? What does that mean? And I think this is the essence of praying constantly. Attention. 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 In Bodhidharma's wake-up sermon, he says, Buddha is awareness. This mind, how do we find this mind? How do we pacify this mind? You can't find this mind and you can't pacify this mind. 
impossible. You can only be with it. Attention. And you can realize the futility of searching, of looking for something outside yourself, this elusive peace, this elusive nirvana. Of course, it's going to elude you if you're looking outside yourself. It has to elude you if you're looking outside yourself. You're looking in the wrong place. It's like the, the guy who was out on the street, a little tipsy, late at night, under a lamppost. And a policeman comes by and says, what are you doing out here? And the man says, I'm looking for my keys. He says, the cop says, well, where'd you leave them? He said, I left them in there, but it's dark in there. It's light out here. Looking in the wrong place. You have to look. Inside, not outside. Even if it looks like more promising someplace else, even if what you encounter when you look inside is rather disturbing. It's the only place to look. Beyond the Buddha, beyond the mind, there's no Buddha, and beyond the Buddha, there's no mind. Bodhidharma says the same thing over and over, just in variations, hoping that somehow some variation will finally sink into his listeners. You can't know your real mind as long as you deceive yourself. As long as you think there's something to look for. Rather than just this. As long as you deceive yourself, you can't know your real mind. As long as you're enthralled by a lifeless form, as long as you're enthralled by a lifeless form, these are the lifeless forms that people are enthralled by. Celebrities, 
preachers of various sorts. The stock market. Social networks. They longed for promotion. They longed for, longed for retirement. The trip to Europe. These are all lifeless forms that at one time or another, people become enthralled with. I'd like to read to you <clears throat> a poem, but I realize that I've been speaking for quite some time and I'm going to have a little coffee. And if you would like to adjust your position while I'm refreshing myself, please refresh yourself. The coffee is cold, but it has a lot of milk in it and it tastes delicious. I wish I could share it with you. So instead of sharing the coffee with you, I'll share a poem with you. This is a poem by the Persian poet Rumi. Translated by Coleman Barks. Rumi was a 13th century Persian poet, mystic, Muslim, Sufi. wrote some of the most beautiful poetry in the world. This one was given the title Pure Silence. I don't know if that was Rumi's title or the translator's title. Pure Silence. I have come this time to burn my thorns to purify my life, to take up service again in the garden. I come weeping to these waters to rise free of passion and belief. Look at my face. These tears are traces of you. I will shorten this poem because the rest of it 
is being said in the world within our eyes. Do you know this silence? It's not the same as in your room when you have no one to talk to. This is pure silence, not the kind that happens when living dogs are eating a dead one. That last line, not the kind that happens when living dogs are eating a dead one. That is the essence of being enthralled by a lifeless form. Whether you call that lifeless form Buddha or God, or the Bible, or Bodhidharma, or riches, status, pride, whatever lifeless form has you enthralled. It's like a living dog eating a dead one. Pure silence is more along the lines of what Simone Weil was talking about. Absolutely unmixed attention is prayer. Prayer, pure prayer is pure silence. The mind that cannot be pacified that cannot be held, that cannot be found, but can only be attended to. With pure attention, pure attention, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter how much your knees hurt, no matter how much your back hurts, no matter how dizzying the dog of your mind is as it turns in circles and tries to grasp its tail, even then, just paying attention to it, just being with it until like Eka, it finally 
stops chasing its tail. When Bodhidharma says, bring me your mind and I'll pacify it for you. And Eka says, I've searched for my mind and I can't find it anywhere. And Bodhidharma says, there, I've pacified it for you. And Eka breathes a sigh of relief. <sighs> At last, I don't have to chase my tail anymore. I don't have to try to bring something out. It's already here. No longer enthralled by a lifeless form. Buddhas don't save Buddhas. If you use your mind to look for a Buddha, you won't see the Buddha. As long as you look for a Buddha somewhere else, you'll never see that your own mind is Buddha. Buddhas don't save Buddhas. Attention doesn't save attention. Awareness doesn't save awareness. Attention simply is. And attention can hold all of it, all of the so-called good and all of the so-called bad, all of the confusion, all of the searching, just noticing it, and not being pushed around by it. Just being in the center. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, this is your real mind. This is your real Buddha. Nothing to seek. Nothing to hide. Just this pure, silent, prayer. I wish you 
attention, awareness, and love. Enjoy the rest of the session. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.